0: Today's episode of GM Street is brought to you by Navy Federal. Navy Federal has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals the priority. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions like a full suite of financial products designed to fit your needs, 24-7 life support and access to over 300 branches on or near military bases. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Call one 842 6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app today. Message and data rates may apply and we're also brought to you by the yahoo sports app show me the football are you ready for live football on your phone with the yahoo sports mobile app you got it watch local and primetime nfl games on your phone or tablet all season long never miss your local game never miss a big national matchup all you need is the yahoo sports app get the yahoo sports mobile app today and you are golden and now gm street Welcome to GM3, part of the Wiener Podcast Network. It is Tuesday. It is October 9th, and week five is in the books. And on the line, I am joined by Mr. Michael Lombardi, who is on the road somewhere in the middle of Tennessee, right? Lombardi, how are you doing?
1: I am great. Yes, uh, I'm great. Billy and I are traveling across the country. I'm somewhere in the middle of Tennessee. I could be in the Smoky Mountain Range. (laughs) I have no idea. Bella's not happy. in the back seat. Uh, so if, uh, if you hear her growling, it's probably because it's lunchtime for her. So. But we're doing great. It's uh, it's exciting. One more day, and I'm back in the great state of New Jersey, Pete
0: Frazier. You're almost there. And and this is not to pay homage to Peyton Manning, who uh, whose record was broken last night by Drew Brees, of course. This is not why you were in Tennessee. You were driving to New Jersey uh, to, <laughs> to get back to the East Coast. But I'm sure Peyton Manning really appreciates you uh, stopping by in his home state and uh, letting him know about Rocky Top for the moment right now. But let's talk about uh, the game last night, Monday Night Football, before we start this thing off. We got uh, Drew Brees and the Saints, uh, and Mark Ingram comes back to that vaunted offense. We didn't see much of Kamara. We didn't see much of Michael Thomas, but we saw a lot of Drew Brees. And the New Orleans Saints come out and pretty much smoke out the Redskins early and often in this one and Lombardi. Uh, What's really the main takeaway other than the fact that Drew Brees is now uh, in the upper echelon, as he has been for quite some time, uh, in in the conversation for one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time?
1: I think the the main theme that I watched last night was how good the Saints' offensive line. Because the Redskins' defensive line is good. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can ball some people. They're physical up front. They're big. And they could take somebody on. And I just thought the Saints offensive line took the game over. Breeze was as magnificent as he always was. Sean Payton was outstanding with his play selection and his diversity. As he was just, you know, I mean, he's got everything always off rhythm. He never does things that you traditionally think he's going to do. And when Breeze operates like that and their receivers are so good, look, I, I think the Redskins secondary, they finally benched Josh Norman, who hasn't played well. Seriously, this guy hasn't played well for a while. He's always been a zone corner that they've tried to make a man-to-man. He played cover two. You know, they give him a lot of heat for Carolina letting him go. But Carolina decided we're going to pay all that money to a cover two corner with with some spices of man-to-man. So, uh, you know, the Redskins were in a tough spot last night. The emotion of the stadium, I, I just thought. But I think that Saints offensive line is the difference between them and most of the NFL.
0: And we did see, I mean, you talked about that Saints offensive line. There were some moments. We, we had uh, Mark Ingram comes back in this game, uh, and he gets the majority of the carries. We didn't see much of Kamara, and it seemed like it, it was a conscious decision that was made by Peyton to uh, try, try to get him the ball and get him back into shape. He, I think he ends up getting 16 carries in this game, and Kamara only gets six, but we saw you know, Payne, the rookie, come, and he, he knocks the ball out, and and uh, at one point, Ingram fumbles, but as luck would you know, put it for the Saints team last night, it just seemed everything was falling their way. He gets back on top of the football, and, and there's no turnover there, and and it just seemed like a night that the stage was set for Drew Brees to have this sort of night. And I was, you know, playing an intramural basketball game last night with a diehard Washington fan. And, you know, he said early in the game there were some tough penalties against them. And he just thought that it was all set up. You know, he he believed in the conspiracy that the NFL uh, wanted Drew Brees to have this main stage on Monday Night Football for all of this. But, you know, you can take that for what it is. But it, it did just seem like everything was going to go the right way for Drew Brees. And uh, and he even said before the game to Sean Payne, let's just go win the game. and And that's exactly what they did.
1: I mean, look, the Redskins in the last five years, I mean, I think since 2012 or 20 games below 500, so they can blame the officials for a bad call <laughs> here. I think the Redskins' problems are deeper than just a bad call here or there. I mean, Nicholson had that stupid penalty, and then he has a horrendous non-tackle on the touchdown pass. I mean, the Redskins are a front-running team. They are, if things go good early for them, they'll play. If things don't go early for them, they won't play. They don't have any attention to detail in terms of what they do. And poor Alex Smith, you know, he's probably looking around. Where's Andy Reed? Like, where's Andy Reed? I look good playing for Andy Reed. I don't look so good playing in this offense. And, you know, and seriously, how much more could they love Kirk Cousins? I mean, they all hated Kirk Cousins in Washington. The general manager went over, you know, couldn't get that contract worked out and they all hated him and sent him away. And now everything was going to be better with Alex Smith. And now, last night it wasn't. So to me, the Redskins' problems are deep. I think they they really lack some things, and they're just such a front-running team, Tate Frazier, that the penalties wouldn't have mattered. I mean, you know, there's a saying in coaching, you're either coaching or allowing it to happen. When I saw Jake Gruden say to Nicholson after the penalty, now go out there and make a play, <laughs> like he's allowing it to happen. And of course, the kid went out there and missed the tackle. They blow a coverage, and he had a chance to get the kid out of bounds, that he couldn't do it. So... Look, that old NFC lease is like, really, at some point... I still think the Eagles win the division because I'm not sure there's any good team in that division right now.
0: And we're going to talk about one of the other teams in that division a little bit later, one of our favorite characters here on GM Street, the Clapper, of course. Uh, You mentioned Alex Smith. Alex Smith goes 23 for 39, 275 yards and an interception. He had some nice third down conversions early in the game, but uh, as it wore on, it just seemed uh, like this team just could not put anything together uh, and and couldn't really get a drive going. And I I thought one of the funnier storylines going into the game, Lombardi, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but people kept bringing up the Adrian Peterson thing, the the revenge game for Adrian Peterson to go up against his Saints team. Uh, they were obviously behind early, so he only gets, uh, I think he ended up getting six yards on four carries uh, at the end of this one. So just, just, the, just the fact that that was the headline going into the game, I thought was a little ridiculous when you have uh, these two teams going I, up I against mean, each other. I it's
1: so bad, Tate Frazier. I mean, like, that's the headline. I mean, people are saying, well, Adrian Peterson has a loss. They think, seriously, are you watching the same tape I'm watching? I mean, what the F? I mean, the guy's not the same player. He was a great player, but he's not the same player. And, and and if you're going to buy into that rhetoric, it's crazy. I mean, look, let's face it. He had a great career. He's a great player. Belongs in the Hall of Fame. I'm not disputing that. But where he is right now, I mean, come on. He was on the street for a reason, and the mm-hmm. Saints let him go or traded him to Arizona last year for a reason. So I just think sometimes we get caught up in the whole thing, Tate uh, uh, Frazier, of this whole rhetoric that's going on on the. Uh, the whole storyline between Monday night and when they start talking about things. Like, for example, <laughs> like the Saints are so creative what they do offensively. So what they what they typically like to do is they like to send a motion across the field. Okay? So they send the motion across the field, and then that motion guy sits. And what Breeze does is calculate what happened on the motion. And once Breeze figures out what he's got, he then checks to another play. Run, pass, pass, run doesn't matter mm-hmm. and so they've been doing this for years but nobody talks about it because you know they just see this motion come across like Sean Payton's just bringing that motion across just because he feels like it I mean it's absurd so anyway you know I, I just think there's something we miss and we focus on storylines that are not even relevant I mean like really are you serious like the Redskins play the, the Saints would have said play Adrian Peterson all you want I mean Booker McFarlane's talking about how they got to stop giving up. Look, the last two weeks, the Saints have changed defensively what they do philosophically. they played way more zone than they did in the first two weeks. They stopped giving up big plays. They're keeping the ball in front of them. After they almost lost to Atlanta, Sean Payton went back to the drawing board and said, we're going to play some zone. We're going to play some Tampa. We'll mix in some man. We're going to have some five-man pressures, but we're going to get back to be basic football and try to get better at something, and they have.
0: And their rookie defensive end, Marcus Davenport, showed signs last night that he can be a guy that can get them pressure up front. He recorded a sack and also had a, a forced fumble in this game. And you, you mentioned uh, just the commentary uh, that was going on during Monday Night Football last night. I have to bring up uh, your, your one of your favorite lines that you use here on this program is the Cheesecake Factory menu. And we're talking about uh, you know RIP. We're going to pull, pull one out right now for Ben McAdoo. But uh, Jason Witten used that last night on the program. Are you proud or are, are we excited? Or are we happy to hear that Jason Witten is obviously listening to GM Street or, or that your
1: your verbiage has I, I, spread I'm off. I'm happy. He, he listened. Yeah, I mean, sure, I love it. I, thankfully, I wish he would have mentioned my book. That you know, <laughs> give me a book a little plug You Need a plug? Like Come on, bugger, you know? give us a plug. He, he can, yeah, get a plug of the book. But no, I mean, hey, look, it's out there. Everybody knows it's like the clapper. I mean, everybody uses the clapper. It's like no big deal. You know, it's it's good. I'm, I'm happy, and it's the form of compliments when they do that. But you know, when you go, let's go back to the Redskins for a second, Nate Frazier. The Redskins. Speaking of my book and the Redskins. The Redskins are—you remember the Seinfeld episode when George did the opposite of everything? Instead of eating a tuna fish sandwich, he decided to order salmon and a cup of tea?
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Right? Yeah, you remember yeah, that episode? yeah. You Jim, be, okay. Producer Jim right, is
0: nodding. So George I'm sure.
1: Opposite. Yeah, one of my favorite ones of all time. And, you know, you know, George Opposite would never go up to that good-looking girl, but he went up to her. Oh, all right. So anyway, the Redskins <laughs> are the opposite. They do everything that's opposite in my book. <laughs> like they're the opposite of my book. Like every behavior the Redskins have, sign Josh Norman, sign Albert Haynesworth. I mean, since the owners own the team, Daniel Snyder, he's one hundred and thirty-four and one seventy-three since his ownership of the team. Every like the, the Redskins should never read my book because they do the opposite of everything that I wrote, wrote in that book. Like they're opposite of everything.
0: What, what, but the thing is, they still, in some in some respects, are the best looking team in the NFC Least, as you like to call them, right? I mean, there there is still some promise right. there, just because that division just seems so up in the air at this point.
1: Well, they look good, but I mean, there's no attention to detail. I mean, I remember we we practiced against them when I was at the at the Patriots. We practiced at them in Richmond, and R.T. three says when we were running sprints after practice, he says, man, those guys look like a Catholic League team practicing all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, no shit, RG3. Like, this is called the NFL. Where you are ain't called the NFL. You're just going through the motions. Like, this is what you have to do to be a championship-level team. It's called conditioning. It's called getting in shape. It's not called just show up and see how it goes, you know, or go out there and make a play now. I mean, that's something somebody says in high school to a kid. Like, seriously. You wonder why they lose? Yeah. I mean, come on, man.
0: We're, we're seeing it now. Come on, man. You're letting them know. Uh you speak about conditioning as far as like the physical aspect. Let's talk about the the mental conditioning and the ability to adjust on the fly and then make a big time call. And that, that comes down to something that we saw. That was a the theme of week five. I mean, there was a lot of decisions that were not made that you know, owners like Jerry Jones wished that his coach would have made and he said it 15 minutes after the game and then there was some other decisions that were made by the likes of Sean McVay and the likes of Pete Carroll uh, and it all comes down to coaching decisions and being able to trust in your team and to be able to take a, a calculated risk um, to make sure that things play out and I want to talk about the Sean McVay and talk about this Rams and the Seahawks game and I know you have some thoughts on just the general topic of, of what these coaches like a McVay and Pete Carroll and, and these guys are willing to do uh, to take these sorts of risk in these games. And, and obviously it's paying out, paying off for a guy like Sean McVay, who has the Rams at 5-0 and right now.
1: You know, I, I didn't have, I mean, Pete Carroll called the timeout. Everybody's giving him a hard time. Why did you call a timeout to let Sean McVay think about it? Well, he was trying to save himself some time to get back in the game. I, I wasn't as upset with that. And I think Sean McVay did exactly what you have to do. Nobody understands this anymore, but the reality of the NFL today, and it was when Bill Walsh was a the coach, they put up the one-loss records home and on the road the other day. Walsh's winning percentage on the road was better than his home record. Why? Because Walsh controlled the offense, and the way you win on the road today in the NFL was through your offense, and Sean McVay's proven that. Even though his defense is not playing very good so far, they're not stopping the run, nor rushing the passer to the level that we all think on paper they should, their offense wins on the road. And so when Sean went for it on fourth and one, he understood immediately that, look, if I give the ball back to them the way my defense is playing, I have a chance to lose. If I convert this first down, there's no chance I lose the game. And I think he did the right thing. Whenever your offense can win the game, I think you got to take advantage of it.
0: And we got to the point in this game, so the the Rams Seahawks game ends up being 33-31. We had six uh, lead changes as a as a NFC West thriller, is back and forth. Um, and, and what we're talking about, we were one yard short. Uh, and, and and all the day, I mean, Goff and the Rams struggled on third down. They were three of nine. The Seahawks, in comparison, were seven of twelve uh, on third down. And then, but also, you know, we lose Brandon Cooks in this game due to a concussion. Uh, Cooper Cup we also also goes down in this game with a concussion. Um, but 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 they have this fourth and one play, and it, and it was an aggressive decision at the. Time when McVeigh decided to go for it, but you know, like you were saying, I mean, who wants to kick the ball back to Russell Wilson and give him a chance to make a play? Because we saw in the Panthers game when they did get the ball back, and then you do punt and you give them more time. There's a chance that a guy like Graham Kenoke you know, can kick a 63 yarder to win the game, and then you and then you're screwed.
1: No doubt, Tate Frazier, and and nobody seems to pay attention to that. How much time we give the guy back? How can we win the game? I mean, the like Baltimore game, for example, is a perfect example of that. Baltimore's got the ball first and ten. At the Cleveland Browns 12-yard line, there's a minute and 14 to go in the half. Cleveland, I think, has two timeouts. What does Marty Morning League and the Ravens do? They didn't watch Atlanta mismanage the, the clock management last year. They throw three passes and give Cleveland a chance to move the ball back to win the game, to potentially win the game. Now, of course, Cleveland stubbed their toe and didn't do it. They eventually did it in overtime. But you have the ball first and goal at the 12, and the clock is stopped. And you know your opponent has two timeouts. You gotta you know right now, you know right now you're gonna tie the game. You got Justin Tucker. The worst you're gonna get is a tie, but you've gotta eliminate some clock. So you run it on first down, and now you put the pressure on, on Hugh Hugh Jackson to see, is he gonna call timeout or is he gonna let the clock go? If he calls timeout, no big deal. Run it again. He'll eat another timeout, then make the third down play so you can get the first down. Take away his timeouts, take away his arsenal. You're trying to do both, but when you throw three passes, you're basically just saying, OK, Cleveland, why don't you get the ball and drive back down the field with your two timeouts and beat us and beat us before we go to overtime? It's just ludicrous how dumb things are. It just doesn't make any sense. And it happens continuously in the NFL where you get to the point where you just say enough. And I think Sean McVay understands it. I mean, at least he gets game management. Last week against Minnesota, he punted the ball this week, he went for it. It's all about the situation, the percentage.
0: And I think there, there tends to be a belief that there's always a, a set philosophy with these guys and these coaches. You know, one of these guys is, you know, Riverboat Ron's going to be aggressive. He's going to go for it on fourth down or, or whatever it may be. But I think that the thing that we've seen with McVeigh, and I think the thing that has you know, both impressed you and me just watching him from the sidelines is the fact that it doesn't seem like he has a set agenda on what he's going to decide and in a very similar vein as, as uh, Sean Payton. You know, they, they are taking Every single risk and, and like the analysis is happening in the moment. It is not preconceived. It, it is not scripted. It is it is happening in the moment and they are making decisions based on what is happening uh, in front of them in the game itself. And they're not they're not calling out and outsourcing the calls to India like we heard with Andy Reid a couple years ago. You know what I mean? They they are doing it live and in person. And I think that's that's been very impressive to see early on in this season.
1: I mean here's the reality. It's not there's no script to follow. You've got to look at the game and see how this game is flowing. If you're Jason to Clapper Garrett and you got the ball fourth and one and you've got a really good offensive line and you got a great running back and you got a quarterback who can move and you got a chance to win the game right there, you gotta do it. Like you're not playing field position. This is not the first quarter. Like we're not coming back. You're lucky as hell to be in the game to begin with. If Houston had any design on red zone, if Houston could run a quarterback sneak effectively, I mean, they tried to run a quarterback sneak in the second half, and Deshaun Watson gave the two defensive tackles time to line up in the a gaps. Like really, Deshaun? Like if you'd have goose, that you'd have gone for three yards, mm-hmm. right? Like just get up there and go. They got the ball six inches from the from the from the end zone, and they and, he, and they they don't even know how to run a guy there. They line up at shotgun. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So. You know, and Garrett doesn't go for it. And then Garrett said, well, I was playing the percentages. I thought our defense was playing good. (laughs) Are you kidding me? you got to win the game right here. You're lucky to be in the game. Like, you're lucky to be in the game. Take advantage of it. And yet, no. He's got big offensive line. He's got a quarterback that can run. He's got one of the best running backs who is almost impossible to tackle for less than a yard. Who, they put the graphic up there. Obviously, the clapper didn't see it. He makes three yards after contact. Every why time. would you give him the
0: ball? Exactly, and let's just talk about that game. So th- this is Sunday Night Football, obviously for people that you know are kept an eye on this. So the Texans are ta- taking on the Cowboys. Um, this was a defensive showdown. I mean, this was really good if you are uh, a, De- uh, a Demarcus Lawrence fan, or if you are a uh, Jadavion Clowney fan, and if you want the you know you want them to get paid twenty million dollars next year when they're free agents. This was a game for you to really buy in on to see what was going on, and that's why you know Garrett's not wrong to say that his defense was having a great game. They did a great job, uh, you know, basically trying. Trying to contain Deshaun Watson, but they still, you know, the yardage battle was 462 to 292. Uh, the Texans, you know, vastly outplayed the Cowboys uh, for the most part in this game. And Dallas just sort of seemed uh, at odds and lost. And just getting down to that fourth down decision uh, in overtime, we're tied at 16. Obviously, we got to talk about the DeAndre Hopkins, you know, the, the back-to-back spin moves when he hits the B button back-to-back, which was insanity. But, but just for, for Garrett to make that decision... Obviously, he's been there since 2010, and we've talked about the clapper and you know how long that leash will be. And we get Jerry Jones right after the game saying that basically it was a time to make an aggressive call, it was a time to do something, time to go for it, especially when, like you said, you have Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield. I mean, is this the is this the moment in time that we probably point to to say that could have been you know the that that may have been. Finally, it clicked in his head that Jerry Jones is thinking to himself maybe he has to move on from the Clapper and move on from the Garrett regime, or is this just more of the same at this point?
1: Well, look, I mean, Jerry said that the, his team, his offense, reminds, is very similar to the Rams. Now, to me, if he's saying <laughs> the 2015 Rams, then I think he's right. If he's saying the 2018 Rams, then he should go to Pearl Vision right the fuck now and get himself <laughs> a goddamn eye exam. Like, that's what he's got to do right now. Like, there's just no reason. He's Mr. Magoo if he thinks that. Like, seriously, he's Mr. Magoo if he thinks that. He's got to go get an eye exam. So, just, but let's just take it if if you believe what he said, okay? Like, do you think Sean McBay wasn't going to go for it, give the ball to Zeke Elliott on fourth and one? I mean, like, if you put Sean, if you give Sean McBay that offense in Dallas, you don't think they would move the ball? Like, of course they would. Mm-hmm. Of course they would. Dak Prescott's taking all this heat down in Dallas like he's some kind of, like, he's the problem. No. He's the solution. The problem is is you don't do any motions. You don't do anything to create situations. You run a screen for Zeke Elliott. Like, there's no way you do anything to where you create mismatches on the opponent. You never play where you control the action. You're always reactionary, and people get a read on you. I mean, during that game, Romeo Cornell was going to attack on first down with outside pressures. He had a game plan, and by formation, he was blitzing them. And so while he was doing that, they couldn't get going. And so there was the story of the game. Look, Jalen Smith made a couple great plays, but it really wasn't like I didn't leave that game thinking he was the most dominant linebacker on the field. You know, and the play he caught Deshaun Watson on, I mean, everybody was going to catch him. The angle was up. The defender forced him back in. He couldn't turn the corner. So to me, I think if you're Jerry Jones, you got to see this. And if you think you're the Rams of 18 and your coach doesn't give it to you, then that's got to be a problem.
0: And just talking about Dak, he's 18 for 29, 208 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. One thing to point out about Dak, I mean, he had two... Very fortunate situations uh, that could have been potential pick sixes. We had a Jonathan Joseph uh, drop pick six early in the game, and then we had a Kareem Jackson uh, drop pick six uh, late in regulation that would have uh, pretty much sealed the game for Houston. So there were a couple times that where Dak was, and then but then we had some amazing moments where you know Dak you know gets away from two potential sacks and, and is able to throw a forty four yard pass down to Tavon Austin. So uh, he's running for his life, like you were saying. So it, it it is it is strange how all all fingers seem to be pointing towards Dak Prescott at this point with with all the problems that are going on in Dallas, but uh it does seem to be a larger issue. And you brought up Sean McVay being able to run uh that Dallas offense. I mean, I think Sean McVay would be able to get Deshaun Watson and be able to run a QB sneak if he can get Jared Goff to do one, right?
1: There's no doubt, especially <laughs> come under center. Look, if you got Deshaun Watson, you, you look, I think Deshaun Watson's really good at out of shotgun. I love that. But put him in a little bit of put him under center a little bit. Let him I mean how he's gonna get the night on a sneak. He's six feet five. He's got long arms. I mean, Tom Brady gets the ball over the end zone every single time. I mean, people were sending me like all this information on what the quarterback sneak value is in terms of how many times he hit it. When you want to win road games, if you want to win tough fought games, you got to win third and one. That's like the number one thing come playoff time is who wins third and one. Who can control third and two? Who control third third and one? When you can do that without having to get the shotgun and put all the pressure on making a throw, ball doesn't get batted down, and you could run it, and it doesn't matter if you have any tendencies, if they can't stop it. You know, when I was at the Raiders in 2002, we used to run 14 or 15 leads with with Zach Crockett, and we never missed it one time. Zach would bang it up in there. We'd get the yard and move on. Mm -hmm. That's why we were a good team. Pittsburgh used to do the same thing with Jerome Bettis. They'd run that lead play for third and one and get it up in there. That's when you know you're a good team. The Saints do it. The Rams do it. That's why they're good teams. The definition of a good team is clearly this. We can throw the ball when you know we're going to throw it. We can run the ball when you know we're going to run it. When you can't do those two things, you're not a good team.
0: Yeah, and one thing dude, we can point out about the you know, Cowboys and maybe the Ezekiel Elliott decision not to— he did limp off the field sort of late in the game. But he did return afterwards. I mean, he ends up getting 20 carries for 54 yards, and then he had uh, uh, seven uh, catches for 30 yards as well. But it just didn't seem like a night for Zeke. I do want to point out before we move on from this game, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and I and I, you know, brought up a little bit about the spin moves in overtime and obviously that, that huge play that he had. But he was going up against Byron Jones, and— Byron Jones, for people that don't know, he has not had a pass interference flag thrown on him uh, in his four-year career, and DeAndre Hopkins, you know, finally got one thrown on him in this game. He ends up getting 13 targets for 151 yards and, and basically winning the game for them. And you just talk about elite players. There's some guys that that can can just just based off their own skill carry you to the next level. And uh, Hopkins is just one of those guys on the outside. I mean, it, it really is unbelievable to see him. Uh, in action, because I mean, that didn't even seem like a real human being when he did those back-to-back spin moves. You know what I mean? He was, was like a, unconscious no, it, almost.
1: It's, it's unbelievable, and his hands and wrists are so strong. Mm-hmm. When the ball hits his hands or wrist, they stop immediately. I mean, receivers that don't strengthen their wrists and work on those are not going to be great receivers. you got to be able to stop the ball. Your hands have got to be strong. And then the thing he's always able to do to me, he would be a great rebounder in basketball. He's always in balance when he's going to get the ball. He's never out of balance. And so he's always can compete for the jump ball. You know, he doesn't have great speed. He doesn't separate all the time from people, but he runs great routes. He knows how to push off. He knows how to stick his elbow in and nudge. And and he finds ways. And I think the last, since the opening day, I think Deshaun Watson has gotten much better as he's moved along. I think everybody's concerned about him taking too many hits. I think the kid's pretty tough. I think they'll keep taking them. But I think they've got to find a way to get some kind of balance in their offense, especially with their run game because it it can't always just be on Deshaun Watson, but you're right, Hopkins
0: and we did see Deshaun Watson a little bit late in that game, going over to the sideline, holding his side a little bit. Some, some people were concerned, but uh, like you said, he's a tough kid, and, and Deshaun is one of those guys that uh, if he can be out there, he will be out there. Let's get to a game uh, that I know that I think everyone. This is probably the most anticipated game of the weekend, heading into Week Five. Uh, a game that a lot of people thought you know could potentially be the AFC Championship matchup. Uh, people were excited to see what this Jaguars defense. Jalen Ramsey before the game was you know making uh, backhanded compliments to Tyreek Hill about him being a special teams player. Uh, um, and all, all that stuff going into the game so we get uh, the Chiefs taking on the Jaguars uh, we get Mahomes versus defense but uh, for the benefit of us and for the benefit of entertainment uh, maybe not so much for com- you know the competitive in- entertainment in this game but just for us uh, as fans we get to see the real Blake Bortles and boy did he show up in full form in uh, in this game Lombardi Blake Bortles was slinging the ball over the place he had one of the, the, the best pick sixes you'll ever see Looked like something out of the Harlem Globetrotters uh, just threw it right directly to to a guy for for the touchdown uh, but, but but just overall, I mean, this, this screen, was Blake. On a
1: screen, don't you love it? Yeah, on a screen, yeah. right to it You him. know, it's fun. I, my, my Blake Bortles Twitter uh, uh, lovers haven't mentioned anything to me this week. You know, it's like funny. Every, every When he has a good game, you know, everybody's right down there. Of course, look, he's the great equalizer, Tate Frazier. I've been <laughs> saying that he's the great equalizer. Nobody wants to admit it. You know, they think they can manage him. At some point, you know, we all talk about this is the quarterback league. Quarterbacks win games. And then in the name, same sentence, we talk about Blake Bortles being able to win for Jacksonville. Like, that ain't going to happen, bro. It's just not going to happen. It ain't, it, 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 it's just no way. And I, Look, two things to me impressed me. Kansas City's offensive line did a really good job uh, against Jacksonville's front. I thought Jacksonville's pass rush design was horrendous. I think you've got to squeeze the pocket on the home. Your ends can't play up the field. They've got to take the outside shoulder of the tackles and push them back in. And they've got to squeeze this kid to make him stay in there. Force him to beat you and get into the paint. And I thought Jacksonville could do it before the game. They didn't. I didn't think Blake was going to throw this many interceptions. I didn't think it was going to be this bad. I thought Jacksonville had a chance to win because I thought they could slow him down and run the ball. I thought not having Fournette was going to be a problem. Now they've lost Grant and all the burden falls on TJ Eldon. So I don't know. But look, Blake Bortles to me is the great equalizer. And he can play great against somebody, a bad defense, that's great. But when you got to win in the AFC, you're going to have to beat Kansas City. You're going to have to beat some good defense. It could beat Tennessee's defense, and Josh Allen did. Yeah,
0: and Josh Allen did. That's one thing we should point out. Uh, Blake goes 33 for 61 in this game for 430 yards, one touchdown, four interceptions. Uh, I mean, that almost isn't even uh, true. I mean, at halftime, he's 10 for 22 for 126 yards and two picks. Um, A lot of that stuff, the game was pretty much over when he was stacking up some of those yards. You mentioned Corey Grant going down. It was a uh, Liz Frank injury, I think is what it was called. So he's out for the year, unfortunately. Um, so, So it was a situation where, obviously, if Blake's throwing 61 times, that's never good. They were down, so he did have to throw the ball more. Um, You you mentioned Pat Mahomes and what he was going against. I mean, they did do a really good job, Jalen Ramsey, of of trying to bottle up, you know, the explosiveness of Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey still had a good game. Mahomes throws his first pick uh, of the season, but he still eclipsed the the 300-yard mark uh, on the day. And it, it did just seem that, you know, even when Mahomes took some shots or was able to, you know, get, you know, humbled a little bit by this Jaguars defense, Uh, for whatever reason, they were able to easily bounce back, and he goes 22 for 38 for 313 yards, um, and and a rushing touchdown, no passing touchdowns this week.
1: And it proves the theory. You don't win. Defenses have a hard time winning on the road. Mm -hmm. It's hard in this league. Look, Jacksonville played good defense at certain points in the game. You just can't play 30 minutes of defense. Jacksonville would have dominated more if their offense would have been able to convert some third downs in the first half. Blake doesn't turn it over. And at the end of the day, if their defense plays 26 minutes, they win the game. I mean, it's so classic. Nobody gets this. We don't talk about it. But the Eagles last year, whenever they had a play over 30 minutes, they weren't. They didn't win. Mm-hmm. I mean, Eli Manning, we'll get to this later, but Eli Manning's two best games last year were against the Eagles. You know, He threw for a ton of yards, but the Eagles defense never plays more than 27 minutes. That's why. This year, they're playing more than 27 minutes. They're playing 30, and all of a sudden, people are worried about them. Well, that's why. You're playing too much. It's too many minutes. Because your offense isn't controlling the tempo. And that's why offenses on the road win. Because if they can control the pace, it limits the amount. And right now, Jacksonville can't control the pace. And Bortles can't stay on the field, on the road. He can't against a bad Pittsburgh defense. He could against a New England defense that isn't great. But he can't against a defense that will get after him like Kansas City did. So to me, it's going to be the problem all year.
0: Yeah, and it's something to keep an eye on moving forward especially with uh with Blake and you know we're going to see just how far he can take him and as you said he is the great equalizer. We'll keep an eye on that and you mentioned Eli Manning. You said we're going to talk about it later. Let's talk about it now. The the Carolina Panthers and the New York Giants. Uh obviously it was a it was an absolute you know back and forth game, a, a lot of ups, a lot of downs and, and obviously an epic ending with uh, Graham Gano hitting a long 63-yard field goal to get the win for the Panthers. Uh, we were got to talk about Ferris Bueller, one of our favorite characters. Uh, this is a big week for GM Street. We got a lot of characters coming back into the fold in week 5. Obj uh, sat down with Josina Anderson and Little Wayne Lombardi. You know, Little. You know what Wayne was Little Wayne doing there?
1: Was he promoting the Genesis <laughs> halftime show? Is that what he was doing? I think
0: he was promoting his album, The Carter Five, and I think he was just trying to show support. To, you know, to Obj. He's like, look, just throw the ball to Obj. He's open. Uh, you know, I've, I've looked at the tape. You know, Little Wayne's looked at the tape. He, he was a guest way back in the day with uh, Stephen A. Smith. You know, he's, he's been around the block on ESPN. So Obj was looking for some support there from Little Wayne. But anyways, they came out and uh, it, it caused a little bit of controversy, and he criticized. Eli and a little bit of the offense, and he brought up the fact that you know they had been one and two before, been able to bounce back. Uh, but it, coming into this game, that, that was really the talking point. Um, and, you know, he had a dropped uh, pass on a fourth and three. Um, and then he muffed the punt that led to a Carolina touchdown. But he also had, you know, some big plays later in this game that, that we'll get to. But just, just talking about Ferris Bueller, that whole situation, it just, you know, we talked about in the offseason him trying to avoid the drama, him trying to get his contract, him trying to be the, the quote unquote best receiver in football. And now we're at week five and, and all this sort of stuff is popping up again. I mean,
1: is anybody surprised? Like, I wrote about it in The Athletic. I, we've talked about it on GM Street. Like, are, are, are the Giants surprised? I mean, they created this monster. They're the reason. Look, here's what we know. Eli and Odell wanted Ben McAdoo to be the head coach. They mm-hmm. went and they made sure. they That's what they wanted, and they got that. And now Ben wanted, I mean, now Odell wanted his contract. He got that. Odell used to get what he wants. So why not complain? I mean, why not? You know, it's like Bella. Her, her, her dinner time's at 4 o'clock, right? But Bella starts complaining at 2.30. So what happens? She starts getting fed at 3 o'clock every day. Right? <laughs> like, she's won. Like, she wins. Same thing with Odell. He He's bitches. He wins. It's no different.
0: And like Bella, she's winning. And Bella and then, know, and, Bella knows she's not going to get traded at this point, the same way the OBJ knows. Yeah, well, that Bella's, got a,
1: you know, <laughs> Bella's got a lifetime contract. There's no way she's getting traded. She doesn't care how much she's giving me shit at, three, at 2.30 to feed her. Like she's going to eat, right? Yes. So it's the same thing. And, and, and he doesn't, you think Odell's worried about him getting traded. He's sitting there talking about, I rather play. I, I love Los Angeles, but I'm in New York. I mean, come on, you know, never once in that whole interview, did he ever say, I take responsibility. I'm a good teammate. I'm going to get it. No, you know, he did it after he took credit for almost winning the game. Can you imagine that? Mm. Why? Well, if my speech made us play better, I'm happy. Are you kidding me? Look, we all know the problems in New York. We all know the problems in New York. They're there. They've refused to admit the problems in New York. they buried their head in the sand. And this week, Thursday night, the two games he, Eli played against Philadelphia is the reason that the giant front office is citing why they went back with Eli. I think Shaquan Barkley's a great player. Don't get me wrong. they got a really good player. They need a quarterback. And I think what Odell said happens to be true. However, in the manner that he said it and what he did to me, it's really wrong, but the Giants have to know this. They knew this all along. I don't want see why it's a surprise to anybody.
0: I don't think it is necessarily a surprise. I do think that it is interesting because it seemed like for the first few weeks at least, OBJ was sort of biding his time before he said anything, and then— I, I think, you know, it's not just us that are, you know, on GM Street here that are pointing out that, you know, Eli is struggling at the quarterback position. I think it has become a talking point. So as it has become more of, you know, sort of a, an understood general thing that Eli has really struggled so far this season, I think that has empowered OBJ even more to say, hey, look, we got this rookie who we brought in to, to help us win right now. But we can't win right now because I'm wide open on plays and I can't get the ball. Sterling's wide open on plays, he can't get the ball. Saquon's open on plays, he can't get the ball. You know what I mean? So I think I think it had gotten to that point. And granted, you know, when you lose, everything compounds. And and Eli, let's be honest, Eli in this game, I mean, except for his first interception, did not have a, a terrible performance. He was 22 for 36, 326 yards, two touchdowns. Two touchdowns and a pair of picks, but um, it, it just—it seems like it's compounded to the point where obviously you have Saquon, you have the the trick play. Beckham throws a fifty-seven-yard touchdown to Saquon, which everyone was so excited about, and you have these explosive skill players, but you don't have the foundation that you need to be a true competitor uh, because you can't really rely on Eli to get you there at this point, and and that's something that you, we knew no, going into the season. No
1: doubt. I mean, that's the problem. And I feel the guy I feel sorry for is Pat Sherman. And I think Pat Schirmer really took took it head on. He's trying to deal with it. But look, the hardest thing to do in sports is coach a a once great player who's declining. I think Phil Phil Jackson retired as the coach of the Chicago Bulls because he didn't want to have to deal with Michael Jordan in the waning years of his career. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do. It's tough. Nobody wants to accept it. Nobody wants to move forward. There's an emotional base. Eli has been tremendous for the New York Giants. And I applaud them for being loyal to them. However, there has to be a voice of reason within their building that's watching the tape that says, you know, we're probably struggling because we don't have a good enough quarterback. And I think that's why I respect Shermer, what he's doing, because Sherman knows. Now, he took the company line because he got the job because he was going to fall into line with what John Mara, the president, wanted, what Dave Gettleman, the general manager, what all those guys wanted. Uh, in terms of the giant front office. And so I think he's done a great job. He's tried to handle it, but he's got a huge issue in dealing with Ferris Bueller because Ferris isn't going to stop now. This isn't the last we've heard of Ferris. Like he's coming back with more because he has an avenue. He has, you think ESPN doesn't like it when Ferris speaks? <laughs> Are you kidding me? They mm-hmm. can't wait.
0: Yeah. He'll, he'll be back. Little Wayne will be back as well. I'm sure that I maybe, mean, maybe we'll get like a, a remix so. on that original interview at some point. That, that's what we can hope for. Um, I want to bring up a a team, and you you mentioned it earlier. So the Buffalo Bills go (laughs) and beat the Tennessee Titans. Of course, the Tennessee Titans, a team that also beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, and this is sort of just how this NFL uh, the first five weeks have been. It's just been uh, very strange in different parks, and uh, you know the Bills also beat the Vikings, and the Vikings just beat the defending champions, and it's this this whole thing is playing out. But we talked about Mike Vrabel, uh, you know, being a guy that was up for uh, potentially NFL Coach of the Year, uh, just because this, this Titans team was able just to figure out ways to win. Obviously. You know, beating the Texans, beating the Jaguars, beating the Eagles. Uh, and the luck seemed to run out this week. The turnovers really got the best of the Titans. And I, I just want to ask you, because you, you just look at this Bills team, and we've talked about uh, how much they have – uh, you know, struggled at times this season, but somehow they, they've been able to win some surprising games. Like I mentioned that Vikings game earlier, but this game 13 to 12 bills get a win. It's all because of turnovers with the Titans. Uh, Vrabel and these guys, the luck runs out for Tennessee, but just looking at this game, I mean, it, it was obviously, thought was in, in the bill Simmons term. It was the wonkiest game of the week, right? I mean, it was just very strange how it all played out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing about Buffalo, and I don't mean this in any disrespect at all, but Buffalo has to, for Buffalo to win, the other team has to lose. That's what Buffalo has to do. Buffalo can't just go out and beat anybody, the other team has to lose. And that's what Tennessee was able to do. That's why they won three games. They avoided losing first and allowed them to win. And in the NFL, if you just avoid losing, if you just don't turn the ball over, don't make penalties, and just don't give your opponent a chance, You got a chance to win the game. It'll come down to a field goal. Even if you don't get any offense, the Arizona Cardinals will be proof of that. There's another game. You know, they get Mm -hmm. 220 yards of offense, barely convert a third down, and yet they win. They because they turned they turned the ball over I think five or more times. San Francisco. So teams like that, they have to they have to. They're never winning the game. The opponent has to has to lose the game, and that's what happened. Why Buffalo's won two times in a row in Buffalo last year was similar. They had a little better offense, but they had to turn the ball over to win. And Tennessee, it's going to be like this every week for Tennessee. Tennessee's not a great team by any means. I mean, all these Eagle fans that are all upset about the Eagles' defense and think there's something wrong with the Eagles' defense, but they're giving Jim Schwartz a hard time. Like, if they would watch the Tennessee receivers get open on the Eagles' corners and then watch the Tennessee receivers not get open in Buffalo, they would be like, well, wait a minute, something's going on here. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Your, receivers, your corners can't cover anybody in Philadelphia. They're making Tennessee receivers look great, which they never do at any time of the week.
0: And we should say, I mean, that's that sort of the point. We've talked about that front seven with the Eagles. That is who they are. That is the identity. And they have to get that pass rush because on the back end, they don't necessarily have the coverage. And it, it is a 26 to 33 minute game, but they're trying to get on the, 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 the 26 minute side of, of how long they're on the field. And uh, this season they've been on the other side of that which has been a little bit different. I want to get to one more game before we're going to we're gonna take a break, and then we're going to get to the awards for the week. But the, the last game we wanted to talk about um, from this week is, is that Bengals-Dolphins game. Uh, this was a game that was another weird one. Andy Dalton kind of started off uh, you know, not red hot, far from red hot in this game. The Dolphins had a 17-0 lead at one point in this game, but the Bengals battled back and ended up winning this one 27-17. Uh, Lombardi, just looking at this game, I mean, just it was sort of, as they like to say in coach speak, it was a tale of two halves almost.
1: Well, you know, the, my favorite moment of this game. So I'm in Waco, Texas. I'm at this bar called Bubba's because we're traveling, right? I've am mm-hmm. sitting at i got all these TVs. a great venue, right? I'm still watching the game, right? And so, so naturally, Millie knows my picks. And, you know, she can't wait to bust on me if I'm wrong on a pick. So she looks at the TV and she sees Miami up 17 to nothing, right? And she says, oh, they think you got that one wrong, huh? You know? And so I just couldn't wait to give it to me, right? And then they come back. I just loved it. Like, I was so proud of that moment. I was so happy on that. And I got it back. But the reality here is Miami was never a 3-0 and team. The first three games of the season, they've avoided losing. And that's what they did. And so they didn't make costly mistakes. The Jet games, they made a couple. The Jets just weren't good enough to take advantage of them. But the reality of it was was they really aren't a 3-0 team. So they go into Cincinnati, they get off to a hot start, they make a, get a punt return for a touchdown, Cincinnati turns the ball over, they're up 17 to nothing. But the longer the game goes, and Cincinnati's defensive front starts to take over the game, and Ryan Tannehill has to play smart, the less effective Miami is. And so, look, Miami, has, they can't make big plays, they don't run the ball effectively all the time, and Tannehill, to me, is an athlete playing quarterback, and that they need a quarterback. I mean, they need a quarterback badly. And, uh, but my favorite thing about Miami, antidote Frazier is, but so they're calling around asking people, you know, that they would be willing to trade Devante Parker. People are calling Louisville coaches to ask him about Devante Parker, all that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And so naturally I, I, write it on the athletic on my Monday morning column. And naturally, you know what happened? Deny. The Dolphins, they, they, they say I'm wrong.
0: The dolphin they denial. Complete wrong. Yes. They, so they've done course, it again. It's just, it's Jarvis Landry all they over deny, again. You know, they're. Yes.
1: Well, they were going to they they fully intend to sign Jarvis Landry to a multi year contract. You know that, don't you? Right? Oh, he's in Cleveland. I forgot that. Oh, and they're not going to cut Adam Kasu, are they? No, they're not going to cut him. No, no, he's on the Rams, right? Okay. I mean, like, why can't Panabom just come out and say, "Look, you know, there's a lot of rumors swirling around. I'm not going to confirm or deny. Well, I'm just going to do everything to make the team better." Instead, they're kissing the players' ass. Oh no, we're not going to trade you. We're not going to trade you. You're going to trade him. Of course, you're going to trade him. You're pissed off at him constantly. Like the kid's never healthy. He's been a disappointment for you. Why wouldn't you trade him? Mm-hmm. You, you just cut Jordan Phillips. You're not gonna. You're not gonna cut him. I mean, give me a break. It, is it one of those
0: things where it's just value? They're tra- They think that by not saying the truth or trying to to to, to divert no, it in I, some way. I, just... I, I
1: think it's. <laughs> I, I think Adam GaSe has a confrontation issue. I think Adam GaSe is a really good coach in terms of offensive mind but I don't think he ever wants to have a confrontation. I think he's the opposite of Parcells. When Parcells woke up at 5 o'clock every morning and his feet hit the ground, he was looking for a confrontation. He couldn't <laughs> wait to get one, right? I think Adam Gates just does. I think he wants everybody happy. Yeah. You know, he wants everybody happy. We're all going to play. We're all right. The balls are in the room. Everybody's going to play. You know, Everybody's going to play two innings. Everybody gets to the bat. You know, that thing. Everybody's good. Like, at some point, no, you've got to be a dictator. you got to come in and say, this shit ain't working. Yeah. You can now, he cut Jordan Phillips which is a step, but I think he hates confrontation, and so that's why they deny it.
0: Well, it's like YMCA football at this point. I think what he should do is go up to Tannehill and say, hey, remember when Kenny Stills was wide open for that 90-yard touchdown in the second quarter? Maybe he should have made that pass, you know? Maybe that's the first line yeah. of confrontation because there were open passes that were out there. And I mean, and even Tannehill going into halftime was lucky that uh, some of his balls weren't picked off uh, in that first half as well. So uh, it, it is one of those things to keep an eye on. And obviously Miami, the record right now might, may not reflect uh, necessarily what they have going on. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry for Millie. I, I'm, I'm sure she enjoyed that first half, though. That was Oh, fun.
1: she was so, uh, she <laughs> she loved to give it to me. And of course, I think I was four and five on the week. Thanks, Brian, for keeping track of Thank it. Thank you, Brian. Uh, but Uh, I was, you know, there was other games I screwed up on. Trust me. I went with Oakland like an idiot, you know, and I'm done with Oakland, by the way, Oakland and Houston, I'm done with them. So, but I mean, at least I won that one. I thought that was going to be a game that the Bengals should win.
0: Absolutely. And they did get the win. We're going to take a quick break right now, and then we're going to come back and we're going to give out Lombardi's awards for week five. All right guys, you've heard me talk about this for weeks, yet some of you are still watching football from the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, my bookie gives you the chance to create a big Parlay. Shout out to Parlay Kid. You can pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you'll turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on, too. There's playoff baseball, hockey, primetime fights, and more. MyBookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year long. MyBookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. If you're on the sidelines, now is the time to get in the game. MyBookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you've got to join now because they'll be pulling that offer very soon. Log on to MyBookie right now and double your Money. Use promo code Ringer NFL and they'll match your first deposit 100%. That's promo code Ringer NFL. You play, you win, you get paid. Back to GM Street. All right, and we are back. We do this every single week. Uh, we obviously give out awards for the week, and that's one of our uh, favorite things here that we do on GM Street. This is week five. We just wrapped up week five, uh, and our first award that we give out is obviously uh, time to go in the lamb. Uh, we need someone to get out of town, get out of Dodge, and Lombardi. You just mentioned this before the break, but it, it does seem like the Oakland Raiders are a team that need to go in the lamb at this point.
1: Hey, no doubt, Dave Frazier. And they are going on the lamb. They're headed to London to play Seattle this week. <laughs> it's a good time to take Perfect. the toothbrushes, Blake Bortles territory, kind of like lay low. I'm really disappointed. Look, I know Oakland's had really bad drafts from 2015 to 2017. I just thought they were going to be better. I thought they were going to be better. I'm really disappointed in Derek Carr. And if I was working for the Raiders, I would be worried about Derek Carr. The kid has, because he's got, you can say a thousand things about John Gruden, and some of them will be true. But the one thing you can't dispute is he can coach quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. He understands quarterbacks. He gets them to play better, even ones without great talent. He's struggling to get Derek Carr to play better. Derek Carr makes too many of the same mistakes. He can't get them to play. I really mis misevaluated that. I thought he would get Carr to play better, and they could overcome some of the deficiencies, but their defense is way too slow, way too slow. And I think if you just want to do a research project, look at their 15 to 17 drafts. There's nobody on the field that makes plays from those drafts. And so... I think it's cost them. They need to stay in London for a week.
0: Yeah, just hang out in London. That'd be nice. Just you know, go to Wembley Stadium. Do, just just hang around, see what happens. We should say, Rich Gannon, if he was the quarterbacks coach, if he had if he had stayed with his uh, original commitment, who knows where we are? Maybe Rich Gannon could have saved Derek yeah. Carr. Maybe next year. Maybe they make that call. Maybe we bring him in. See what happens. No,
1: Rich, I don't think Rich is going to leave the beach of Ocean City to go back too early. I hope he does.
0: Yeah, that's right. You guys got to have some nice dinners up there and, and, and talk through everything about what's going on with Gruden. That's right. Uh, next up, we have the Fred Palermo Award of the Week. Lombardi, who is that?
1: Well, I think the, the team that had the cleanest game plan that did the best is, you know, they, they, their menu was light. I thought the New York Jets did really well. They ran some gap schemes in the run game. Sam Donald threw the ball down the field. I, you know, they, they just smoked this Denver team. I mean, they just smoked them. And this whole mythology about Denver being a great defense. I mean, Bob Miller was absent in the game, couldn't find them. I mean, Vance Joseph is one for nine on the road. I mean, this this Denver team is not good. You know, the, and I, I, we talked about John Elway. I mean, he, he might stay in London, too, if he wants to. He's going to have to go on because he needs a quarterback. He needs a lot of things. Case Keenum is not a starting quarterback. It's pretty clear in the NFL. It's going to be hard. So, but I thought the Jets did a great job. I thought the Jets game plan well. And I just like to say, I, you know, the word about Casey Rogers is the Jets coaches. Had to have some treatment. I don't know any of the facts about it, but I wish him well because it's always, he's done a great job. The Jets' defense, when they have time to prepare, are always well prepared. And I hope Casey Rogers uh, gets well
0: soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep Casey in, in our thoughts and prayers as always. And uh, I do want to point out just in this game, we talked about, you talked about uh, the the Jaguars, the defense, not being able to travel on the road, not being able to win on the road. The Broncos are sort of the same story. And that's why uh, we were both very hesitant early on in the season to, to give them the nod as a team to keep an eye on, just because of the way they start the year out uh, at home in the Mile High City. It's always uh, tough to tell what you really have going on there. And it seems like Chad Kelly, uh, the backup in Denver, may have a chance to, or a shot at least, as start a few games this year if Case Keenum uh, continues to play like he is at the moment. Next up, we have, if you can't tell my courage from my desperation, and we have the Los Angeles Rams.
1: Yeah, I think the Rams defense, I'm not sure they're good. I really aren't. I mean, they're not good right now. People are running the ball on them like I never thought they could. Chris Carson was effective running the ball. Seattle hasn't, I didn't think Seattle could get to 30 points and they did. And so, you know, I mean, look, I think the Rams have got to tighten this thing down. They've got to figure out a solution on how they're going to play. They travel into Denver this week. I mean, Denver's chopping their bit, figuring Maybe if we could run the ball, and keep it away from Jared Goff, we'll have a chance to win. You know, Denver at home is a different team than Denver on the road. So, uh, but I think the Rams have got to be concerned about their defense and they've got to get it to a higher level. I mean, Aaron Donald, we know he's missed camp. We know he's going to be a good player. Sue's got to play to a higher level on their edges. And I think their linebacker We know the secondary is kind of beat up right now. So I-, I think they've got to get some things fixed there. They're, they are more even with other teams than than anybody
0: and it does seem like they, they defensively made, yeah defensively it does seem like they've missed uh some of those guys that uh, the fringe guys that were stars like a Robert Quinn or Ogletree, some of those guys you know that that were also there on that front line that they're, they're missing some of that explosiveness a little bit with the Rams but we know Wade Phillips is one of those guys that can get things together I actually skipped one of our awards the KGB award uh Lombardi who do we have for that yeah. this week
1: Hey, look the Bills. I mean, look. Let's face it. The Bills win a game. They have to do nothing on offense. They score 13 points and they win the game. I mean, this is how the Bills have to win. I mean, they got to go into Houston this week and they got to hope that Deshaun Watson and the and the, the Texans have a lot of false starts to do what they typically Texans do because they're not going to go out there and beat anybody just with their offense or their defense. They need mistakes. They need opportunities and they take advantage of them. And this is a great win. I mean, to go beat Tennessee after that, you know, people had. Buffalo picking first in the draft. I'm not saying they will, but I think that they prove that they have a formula to win games. They've got to create turnovers with their defense, and they did.
0: And the final one of the week. If you don't know, now you know. Lombardi, what do we know?
1: I think Denver's screwed. I really do. I think Denver's <laughs> in a lot of trouble. I, I think Denver's going to be looking for a new coach at the end of the year. I'm not trying to get anybody fired here, but Vance Joseph, I think if you're John Elway, somebody's going to have to hold responsibility for what's going on in Denver. They're nowhere near Kansas City in terms of the talent level. They're really, you know, Oakland's a bad team. They're a bad team. The Chargers are, to me, they haven't had a signature win, but they're better than Denver. I just think Denver's in a bad spot. Talent-wise, the secondary isn't as good. People are going after them. make get thrown, ball thrown over your head. Never good. I think Denver's real be deep, deep trouble
0: and we'll see uh you know we, we've seen John Elway before come out and, and make comments and make statements and and uh, and let people know how he really feels about things so there could be could be a chance if things continue to to go the, the way they go especially after this past weekend with the Jets where Elway uh gets out and, and in front of this and who knows I mean maybe they make some significant changes I, I don't know if it'll happen during the season but potentially after there, there was one more note before we got out of here and you, and you brought this up to me off air but the 49ers are a team right they're looking like they are ripe to to be a team that will pick first in the NFL draft at this point, right?
1: I mean, I think the talent talent level on the 49ers roster is not very good. I think there's all these first-round picks of the defensive line don't do anything. People move the ball on them. I mean, Arizona won that game. They had no business winning the game, but C.J. Beathard turns the ball over. They make mistakes. They had five turnovers, fumbles, interceptions. I mean, I think they're a real legitimate factor to be the first pick in the draft. I really do.
0: We'll keep an eye on that as always. And, uh, uh, of course, you know, missing out on Jimmy G and him going down was very tough uh, for the Kyle Shanahan. John yeah, Lynch he was a great
1: deodorant, Tate Frazier. I mean, obviously, he covered up a lot of the sins. I thought they were going to be better. But, of course, McKinnon losing the running back, losing him. Now they lost another running back. I- I'm just really, to me, the 49ers roster. And you want to talk about bad drafts? Go so over the last five drafts of the 49ers. Hmm. Seriously, you mm-hmm. wonder why they're in trouble. Yeah,
0: guys like Solomon Thomas, you know, this stuff like they, they, at the time seemed like you know a, a good pick or something that could really help your team. Uh, haven't well, quite. They had
1: no interest in a quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. So they, you know, Kyle's plan going to San Francisco is I'm going to get Kirk Cousins, and so they had no interest. And that's what happens when you begin with the end in mind. They had no interest in Patrick Mahomes. They had no interest in Deshaun Watson. So they take Solomon Thomas, who's not nearly as good a player as any of those guys. You know, when you get caught up in your guy, I'm just gonna wait for my guy, you know, that's not smart. Like like could you imagine Deshaun Watson and Kyle Shanahan's offense? You would have had to go out and trade for Jimmy G, you could have picked him, or say Patrick Mahomes in his offense. I mean, think about it. I mean, seriously. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what happens and but their talent level is all around the roster has not been good. I mean, it really isn't
0: and we'll see what you know sort of plays out with this whole situation because Kyle Shanahan as we both have said on this you know program plenty of times I mean we saw what he did with, in Atlanta with Matt Ryan and you know what sort of transpired since he left there and obviously he has been coordinated to be a, a guy to lead them to the promised land but uh, things are not going according to you know to plan in these first two years uh, obviously injuries play a part we, we've heard you know some teams like the Falcons you know say that injuries we understand that's going to hurt our team or we're going to you know it's not going to we're not going to make drastic changes because we understand where we're going through, but uh, there could be a chance where the 49ers you know, have to do a complete roster overhaul at some point to try to find uh, some talent. And if you have, obviously, a pick at the top of the drafts, that's where you find elite talent.
1: Yeah, no doubt. They're going to have to do it. I mean, they're going to have to really improve that roster. They're going to have cap room to do it. I think there is they need to figure this out because, you know, this is gonna be a huge year. I mean, but both Bay Area teams are not very good. I think the Raiders knew they weren't gonna be any good. I think the forty ers were surprised. I think their lives are different. Yep. As as you move forward.
0: Excellent. Expectations versus reality, as always. Uh, this has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Lombardi will be officially—you will be in New Jersey on Friday when we record, right? You yeah, will... and I
1: apologize for the sound, everybody. This week, I'm driving in the car. I apologize. I will be back. We'll have a. We'll be back together Friday. You'll hear us clearly, and everything will be good. I appreciate everybody's support on GM Street, and uh, keep listening.
0: Yes, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate everyone that's out there that's listening. And again, we'll be back on Friday. Lombardi will give his five locks of the week. And uh, we're excited for week six. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Navy Federal. Navy Federal has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals the priority. Yes, the priority. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions like a full suite of financial products designed to fit your needs. 24-7 life support and access to over 300 branches on or near military bases. Visit... NavyFederal.org. For more information, call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app today. Message and data rates may apply. Again, thank you to Navy Federal.